I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. on Hip Hop Numbers on Instagram and Twitter, where I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. Ooh. Ooh. Getting better. And I'm Drake to the Fifth Element, where I highlight Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. Like in this Australian boy. You shouldn't have gone. You knew what you should have gone. Ben decided to like just throw me like several tracks just to go like, yeah, this should be the intro. I was like, should it though? Should it? <laughs> should it be this track or the other track that has 500 million streams? Maybe, maybe that one. Maybe maybe the one that people know. Um, but yeah, n- nice nice suggestions regardless. Hi, Ben. How's your week, Ben? What have you listened to this week? Uh, yeah, week's been good. Week's been good. This week I got into, let's see what we've got up here. I'm going to go via my instagram page because uh, i do have the best release schedule post in the game it's always freaking very actually there's one better that's a lie such a lie that crown we've talked about this before that crown entertainment person on twitter who's just like got 50 fucking projects every week and like all these underground drops i don't know how they do it but they're amazing but yeah i'm pretty good um what i didn't listen to was so Icy Boys or Armani. I didn't listen to a lot. I didn't listen to Armani Caesar. I didn't listen to Baby No Money. I didn't obviously listen to Wiz Khalifa. But I listened to three DJ drama tapes. So we've got Jeezy, Youngboy, and Snoop Dogg all released a DJ drama tape on the same day. I'm going to go from worst to best. I thought that Youngboy's was the weakest. Um, I just don't know, you know... He has all these different bags, young boy. People say that he's like puts out the same song every single time. It's not the case at all. And uh, yeah, this one was just not it. Uh, it was too low energy for me. Um, I didn't. I didn't really enjoy it that much. I can't say much more than that. I mean, it's hard to even say much about Young Boy these days because it's already been said. Like, yes, his music does differ from project to project, but he's not breaking new ground. He's not like doing a new sound, and he's just doing a sound he's done before. And I don't particularly like this sound of his, but. That track with Nicki Minaj, um, I expected way more energy from him. I think he really let himself down on that because Nicki came in and, and slayed it. And she showed, I'm not going to say what a professional she is. I'm going to say like what a ridiculous vocal talent she is because... Sorry. No, it's not that she's not professional, but I don't think she came <laughs> in there and gave... It wasn't a professional verse. She didn't come in there and just drop off a 16 just because she got paid to do it. That's. I think that that would be... And like a good 16, you know, when rappers get paid to do a, ver- a guest verse and they just phone it in, like when they do a DJ Khaled album, for example, I would say that's a professional performance because you've got paid to drop 16. It doesn't really matter if it's good quality or not. But on this, I thought Nicki Minaj was incredible on that track. Uh, the, the flow that she found, like Youngboy was singing on a track with Nicki Minaj. No, like that's not going to work because Nicki Minaj is going to skate around you singing. She's going to skate around you rapping. Just... Do your thing, but he didn't. So it's a bit disappointing, that tape. Um, Snoop Dogg's was the second best. Uh, I thought that this was... I don't know if you listened to that uh, Mount Westmore track with uh, E-40, Snoop, Ice Cube. Too short. I didn't like that track at all. I thought it was... Um, I thought it was pretty poor. I mean, the beat was, like, really bad, considering they had Dr. Dre at the start, given the intro. Surely they have access to some powerful production. And this Snoop Dogg drama tape proved that. 
Like, this was freaking old. And that's why I like when, when Snoop, like, links up with people. Like, remember when he did that project with uh, Pharrell Bush? Um, you know, uh, Seven Days of Funk, for example, when he did that project as well. When he links up with a producer and they give him, they, they, they fully realize his vision. I mean, he did it in the mid-2000s when he was working with the Neptunes. He did it on Doggy Style. When Snoop locks in with a producer who cultivates his sound, he sounds incredible and holy shit this sound like 93 snoop dog on some of these tracks like fuck 94 snoop dog 90 96 snoop dog like that track with dave east is and corrupt is freaking amazing man i think dave east is on here twice it's just a brilliant tape i really 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 enjoyed it that's the snoop dog that i freaking love hearing from uh and i don't know how he feels about doing this kind of content you know i've heard him say in the past he's not always super comfortable doing it because that's not where his head's at anymore uh, and maybe I'm a bit selfish for wanting to just throw back to this all the time. But yeah, man, that tape was amazing. But the best, the best of the drama tapes was the Jeezy tape. Now, I didn't listen to it until yesterday. Uh, and we were working out in the morning and I put it on. Bro, this is just, man, this is incredible. Like, this whole tape is fire energy. It's going to set you on freaking fire. Like, Jeezy on top of like wildly energetic instrumentals, there's literally nothing better in the world. He just goes in, goes the fuck in for this whole tape. It's like 48 minutes and there's no misses, there's no down points, there's no skips, there's no lulls. Uh, it, the content the content is not what I'm particularly interested in. Like it was a little bit too much money talk. It was a little bit too much. I'm in the Rari, I'm in the Maybach, you know. I'm like, okay, cool. Like We know that you're really rich. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've got no, I've only got one Rari. I don't even have a Maybach, so I felt like a little bit left out. <laughs> nice, nice. I felt he was left okay. out, you know. I was like, fuck, I don't think I ever get a Maybach. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not super keen on that because early Jeezy was not like that. You know, uh, DJ Drama's talking about all, all the times they've linked up together. Like, you know, Trap or Die, all those like projects that they've done together. And, you know, I'm remembering back to them and I'm like, that was super hungry Jeezy. But this was well-fed Jeezy, but he still sounded hungry. I didn't really like the well-fed part. I'm, I'm happy for him to be well-fed, by the way. I'm not saying that at all. I'm happy for him to be successful. But yeah, it was kind of a bit discordant to hear like money brags over the top of these kind of instrumentals that I grew up on. But nah, man, this tape is super fire. Really freaking enjoyed it. So shout out to them, man. Shout out to DJ Drama just dropping three tapes in one day. It's just a wild run. But that was me. That was me. Is all I got to, Charlie. Oh no, that's that's a lie. That's a lie, um, bro. I don't even. I'm, I'm not even comfortable saying this, but I listened to the T Swift album. Uh, it's gonna do 1.2 million first week. It looks like, which is an insane, insane amount of sales. It just won't for me. Uh, all I'll say is it was a it was a heavy departure from her last two projects, and I really adored those last two projects. And I felt like the Lana Del Rey uh, collab could have just been way better. Uh, it just wasn't for me. It, it was, it felt like a regression back to Pop Taylor. And you know, that's the thing, man. Like I was mad into Pop Taylor in the mid 2010s. Um, I was huge on 1989. I was huge on Red. I love those, those projects from her. But yeah, it, I'm not in that space anymore. I was kind of hoping for another folklore, um, but it didn't happen. So. It is what it is. It just wasn't for me. I was a little bit disappointed, but I'm really happy for her. That the numbers she's putting up, apparently she's going to be the fifth artist. Oh, no, sorry. This is going to be her fifth album to sell a million first week. I think that's what I read. 
if that's true, that's freaking amazing. Like, that's incredible. Maybe I need to give this album another spin and give it a few more chances in a different setting because uh, people are really loving it. So, yeah, maybe I need to give it another chance. That was me, Charlie, about yourself. Um, I, too, also... I didn't listen to Taylor Swift. Um, no. So, I spun uh, many projects. I think <laughs> I think about 10 again. <laughs> I'm keeping a streak of like eight pluses uh, these past like month. I'm I'm proud of myself. Um, I started off with a friend of five A one and Soul Dope ninety five with Infinite Wisdom. Um, Soul Dope ninety five. First time I've heard this production and I fucking love it. I would really really love this project uh, as an instrumental version if possible, or as um or actually it's our sheriff. Um, or I start the sheriff. And Corral actually dropped um, a quote unquote deluxe edition um, of their thing of their uh, Eat the Kiwi skin uh, with the with the just the Corral beats as well. So I really hope A One Sold the Night Five can do that as well. That'd be really great because um, I I just really fucking love the production on here. It's the first time I spun him, and uh, it did not disappoint. A One of course did not disappoint on his front. Um, you know, very introspective bars as always. Um, great uh, features from Napoleon the Legend, Tiff the Gift, uh, Anti Lily, Deflo. Really good stuff on here all over the shop. Um, yeah, shout to Don't Sleep Records of course. Standard procedure. Uh, what did I get to? Oh yeah, Fote and technically Carlos Nino, uh, an offering. So I showed this. I, I threw this to Ben right quick because I was walking the dog and I was just like, yeah, "I have never heard anything like this." This is great. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like sci-fi. It's like you, it's like you're in a spaceship, but there's just but you but in that spaceship is just like an oasis, and you're just hearing water just constantly flow throughout this album. And, you know, you occasionally get some jazz in here, but it's just like a melding of two worlds that I have not experienced before, of just like having these sci-fi elements of like, uh, you know, synths and stuff like that. But, um, and, you know, a few horns here and there spattered around, a bit of string, but then you also have this just water element that Carlos Nino does throughout most of his work. I've listened to a few of his projects and water is a, a, a recurring motif, but it's just weird how these were just smashed together it's a very fascinating very i wouldn't say it's like a it's like an energetic ambient if that if that if that's oxymoronic i know but that's the only way i could explain it it's calm but it also has this energy to it um yeah man it's just a very very fascinating listen i li- really love the um uh the kind of just a I don't know if you want to call it a spoken word but just like these the speech on existence of the last track um just a very very fascinating um uh, passage of words um so then i started to dip into um some mercury prize nomination projects um that i that i did not hear about until i watched the mercury prize which was last tuesday um or was, yeah last tuesday shout out to little sims for obviously getting the dubby um but i also listened to um since i've already listened to sims before uh i decided to give it a couple more uh listen just off the performances alone during the night it was very fascinating it was very eclectic i actually really enjoyed most of it um so went off with uh jesse buckley and bernard butler uh for all our days that tear the heart very <laughs> very deep uh titling but um Bernard Butler is um, a super producer in some ways, uh, producer Suede, uh, well, it was part of Suede, the band, who I've not heard of, so 
let's just keep that moving. Um, but that's all I know of the information. And also produce some other stuff, of course, and does production uh, throughout the years. And uh, Jessie Buckley, who's an amazing actress, um, saw her in Fargo season four. She fucking stole every scene she was in. Uh, just that accent, <laughs> just the crazy accent. Uh, she's actually Irish, uh, funny enough, which you can get definitely through this um, album. A uh, lot of Irish folk uh and irish folk adjacent uh kind of music i just really i really, really enjoyed it actually i really enjoyed it um it's not something i listen to on the regular um but uh i really yeah i kind of ha- had this kinship towards it um it was all i was thinking and i sometimes do this where i connect um stuff i've like written uh to to certain projects and i kind of connect this to one feature i've written which is has nothing to do with ireland or you know what? If, even the con, uh, even this concept she was talking about, but just this essence really gave me this, uh, this, this, this loneliness to it. You know what I mean? And that really connected to something I've written before. But um, yeah, man, it's really good stuff. Um, really, uh, really, really enjoyed it. Um, just really good work. Uh, Nova Twins, Supernova. Um, I remember when we listened to that Rico Nasty album from early in, earlier in the year. I was like, I really wish Rico Nasty would just go ahead. I'm not saying just completely change your artist artistry to you know to this, but I would just love for you to just give it a go to just do one full on just rock album. And this is basically what I want from her when I listen to Nova Twins. Um, so Nova Twins, basically a uh, South London duo, um, uh, just two two uh, two women of color just uh, rocking out. And uh, you know, so you got some obviously good um, subject matter, um, but it's just oh, just. Ugh. Just so so filthy with it sometimes. So so filthy with it. Um, especially with just the guitarists. Some of them just go heavy. Um, so yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> definitely don't listen to that kind of stuff. Uh, on on the usual, but uh, absolutely outstanding. And uh, also Yard Act, uh, the Overload. Um, uh, which um, which sorry yeah, Ben, no, I look, forgot okay. that you I are realize, so into yeah. it. So I to- I told Ben I was like, bro, this is like the streets, but if it yeah, was like, indie, he was like. Bro, I've been flying the flag, you dickhead. Like, what the yeah. fuck? Catch up, catch up. Like, like I, I was embarrassed at my break. reaction. I was, I was embarrassed at my reaction because I got, like, really <laughs> defensive because, like, people criticized me heavily when I was saying that they had one of the best post-punk albums this year. And everyone's like, fuck Yard Act. I don't like Yard Act. And I was, like, on Twitter defending myself. And then Charlie comes in and he's like, hey, I just discovered this cool new band Yard Act. And I was just <laughs> such a dick about it. I'm like, Charlie, I already know about Yard Act. Okay, don't try and come in here with me. You, you were fucking such a wanker. the tea with the pinky up, with the top hat going, oh, catch up, please. Gosh. <laughs> such just, a douche. <laughs> how has it taken you this long? <laughs> Awful, embarrassing. Um, but yes, um, as it goes, I did enjoy it. Um, it's uh, really... I, like, I just like the... Um, it ha- it has this playfulness to it. Um, I thought it'd be kind of deep, but uh, well, I mean, it has some depth to it in terms of the subject matter and what uh, what, what they're talking about. Um, which is uh, just <laughs> a lot of shit going on, basically, uh, to put it simply. Um, but you know, there's some there's some hopefulness to it, um, especially with the last track, hundred percent endurance. Um, and yeah, I just really enjoyed it. I I, was, I think the streets, but indies, kind of a good, um, a decent comparison. That's the only comparison I can make personally. Um, in terms of my taste, but um, yeah, some really good stuff. So shout out to the Yardak. Uh, big X the plug, uh, big stepper. Horrible name, but really fucking good bars, man. Really fucking, and the flows on this dude. So he's this, he's this super heavy set dude. Um, from I think Dallas, uh, Texas. Um, I, I I saw him on just like a like an IG 
video and I was just like, hey, this is actually kind of banging. So I just went ahead, uh, spinned uh, his EP from this year called Big Stepper. And um, it's just some really good stuff on here, man. Really good stuff. Um, yeah, man. I just really respected, uh, really respected the work. Uh, moving on to uh, Saint Vacation. Um, so I've been I've been a fan of Saint um, since his you know first couple of EPs or albums. I don't know what you want to call them mixtapes uh, from last year. Um, still listen to local MVP to this day. Um, Vacation. I think it's a little bit of a step down compared to the two uh, compared to um, uh, 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 local MVP and out of the blue. Um, I think the production kind of just took me away instead. Um, instead of his lyrics, instead of what he was saying, I was kind of more into the production. I felt like um, it kind of uh, over, kind of trumped him in that in that fashion. Maybe that's a me problem. Maybe I need to spin it again. But that's just how what I got from it. Um, you know, it's relatively short as as it is. Um, so it's still an EP. But yeah, man, this is some good stuff. Uh, Loyal Kana Hugo, um, third album from mm, uh, one of the best pens in the UK. Um, Kind of short, uh, you know, ten tracks, thirty minutes. Um, so you know, Little Sims Grey area kind kind of kind of essence going on here. So why why I kind of uh, connected it to, um, and I feel actually I think those two albums are really has some good interconnections here, not just because of the ten tracks, thirty minutes, which is very close to each other, um, but in terms of the subject matter as well, um, it was it's very. It's very packed in, I guess, uh, and there's a lot to say. It's kind of all killer, no filler thing going here, um, as uh, as hip hop heads love to say. Especially um, older, older lot of the UK, they love saying that all killer, no filler. Um, but it's basically that um, you just you're not given a break. Um, it's he has a lot of anger, I think, towards uh, towards a lot of things. Um, introspection, of course, as it all kind of loves to do. Um, but yeah, this has just got some real high energy, and I think it really. I think because it's short, a shorter project than most, um, I really, I guarantee myself personally that I'm going to listen to this again, um, probably you know, next month when I start doing album lists. But um, and you know, just get. I feel like the more you listen to it, the more you're going to get from it. Um, I don't think it deserves just one listen. You're going to completely get it. Um, obviously, you'll get some tracks because some are more obvious than others. But there's some real depth in the lyricism here. Um, just stories in a few lines kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like an onion, I guess. It's a very, very laid. Um, so yeah, shout out to, uh, to Lord Carner as well, um, as always. And I missed um, the opportunity to see him live once again, three times in a row. I can't win. Um, every time he drops uh, a tour, I just have no money. It is what it is. Um, Snoop Dogg, DJ Drama, Gangsta Grills. Um, I still got it. Uh, I think the past what you said um, in terms of like, I kind of agree with you on that front, um, especially in terms of the features. Um, but I really respect in I think like Snoop Dogg this year has just been kind of the like the, I don't know in terms of like quality slash quantity. I feel like he's obviously released more than most. But even with that, I I feel like most of them have been pretty of pretty decent quality. And I think the overriding thing I get from his projects this year has been. He just he just really wants to put people on at this point. Um, obviously he has Defro Records, and I think he's using that platform very well. Um, you know, Pad gave Jane Hancock a couple of tracks on this. Um, also one to October London, and uh, I think that just really benefits. Um, just everything Snoop's doing right now, because you know we've heard Snoop. <laughs> you know what I mean? We yeah. we know what he's going to talk about. You know what I mean? We don't technically 
need more Snoop in our lives. Like he has like twenty fucking albums, right? Um, so why not hand a couple of tracks to other people? You know what I mean? That you may have not listened to. Um, I've listened to Jay Hancock before. Maybe some of you haven't. Um, and she's really good. She's really she's got she's really good in terms of what she does. Um, so yeah, I've, I think I'm really respecting Snoop on that front. Where you know he's he's dropping projects that has his name on it. But it's not all about him, and I respect that. So yeah, shout out to that project. Uh, Can't the high before you fall? Very interesting um, project. Let's find for this one from Khan. Um, has this real uh, departure from what he's from what he's been been doing for the past nearly ten years now? Um, this kind of has this like indie vibe to it. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I know that's a very broad term to say indie, but. Um, uh, it it does have that essence towards it. Um, it's it's not quite just hip hop. It's got other things going on here. Um, but yeah, it's a very fascinating record. Um, I'm definitely gonna spin that again. Uh, and uh, give and give it some more thought. But yeah, I was just kind of listening to it. I was like, the production is very different. Um, and it's all him. I don't think there's any features in it. Um, so yeah, man, it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a nice project to listen to. Um, granted, I didn't listen to it too deep. Um, I was doing stuff. While I was doing. I was listening. Um, yeah, the sound definitely uh, definitely a change up from what Khan usually does. And lastly, Vic Santoro, uh, voice of the Village mixtape. Um, he talks about um, getting out of jail a lot um, in his records, and uh, you know that's kind of what you get a lot of the times. And I feel like that's of worth because you know he can he's talking about his experiences and his very unique experience in my in my view, especially from someone just you know getting out of jail and then actually you know having a decent career in music um past that it kind of just gets into flex bars a lot of the production kind of reminds me of something like storms he would be on um and yeah I, I don't know some some of those tracks i weren't too into um but the latter tracks i think uh, were definitely of uh of some good worth uh some good storytelling uh throughout um so yeah shout out to vic santoro and when i said we should hop into our topic for this episode um which is our final uh, UK BHM uh, retrospective, and uh, we're finishing on the one and only Estelle. Um, now, I low key forgot the Estelle raps. <laughs> um, I, I just, I just, it just did not come to my mind. I was, I was like, as as an artist that we could actually do for this uh, for this mini series, and, and then Ben suggested last week. I was just like, oh yeah, we could could actually do Estelle, and she does rap. Um, so yeah, um, and while overall her music isn't fully hip-hop um you know most of it is classed i would class it as you know r&b and uh you know just other things going on throughout it which, which obviously you get into more detail about um you know she she got she got some bars as well she got good cadence um she got very good confidence and um yeah man i feel like i would call her a jack of all trades um in in this sense um she has a lot of influences and i feel like she wears them on her sleeve um, the likes of Lauren Hill, of course. Uh, but sometimes, you know, I get Jill Scott. I get some Mary J. Blige in there. And, uh, you know, I'll see uh, her last album's a reggae project. So, you know, some reggae in there as well. Um, so, yeah, she clearly has a lot of influences. And I feel like her discography overall, not to finish the episode prematurely in, in terms of general thoughts, but, like, her whole, her whole discography gives off this essence of... Um, Cast my word of the, the word of the week in it essence, um essence of uh, uh I've got inspirations and I want to pay homage to them in some way, um so yeah it's very it's a very fascinating arc and uh, we shall get into that front. Ben, what have you got for this episode? Yeah, 
Uh, I would argue that maybe more than 50% of her first three albums, maybe first two, she devotes to rapping. I don't know, subjectively, it just sounds like she raps quite a lot on those projects. Um, definitely half-half, at least. Uh, she's a very versatile artist in general. Uh, you know, in addition to rap, obviously, she traverses R&B, soul, pop, reggae. Um, but she's an actress with film, television, and voice roles to her name. She's even been in video games. So very, very diverse artist. And she was born in London. This is a fascinating story, by the way. This is a really interesting story. Uh, you know, everyone's going to know Estelle from American Boy because it's just ubiquitous and it's a great freaking track. You know, it was a pop track, blew the fuck up, and it's a really, really good song. And had Kanye West on it at the peak of his powers. Um, but to get to that point and what happened afterwards is really interesting. So she was born in London and she grew up there uh, with her older sibling. And then as the second eldest of nine children, so she, there, were, there were nine, it was, she had eight siblings. Now this issue was obviously compounded when her parents split up. Uh, some sources say she was seven years old, some sources say she was only three. Um, I'm not really sure, I mean, it's, I guess it doesn't really matter that much, but she actually had to kind of raise those children herself as well as her mom because she was their second eldest. So uh, as more children came along, I, I assume when she was seven, I don't know how they could break up when she was three and then continue to have children after that, I don't know. But yeah, like she described that early part of her life as lots of siblings, one parent, uh, little spare cash, as you can imagine, not a lot of money. Now, her parents were devoutly religious, so much so that secular music was not even allowed to be played in the house. So instead, she grew up listening to her mother's reggae music and her aunt's soul music collection. She actually discovered hip-hop through her uncle, who she described as a bad boy and not somebody her mother was impressed with. She told an interviewer, I got into hip-hop from my uncle. He was always playing as Cool G Rap and Big Daddy Kane. He was a bad boy, and my mum wasn't really happy that I was hanging out Based. with him. So, I mean, she, she started with the best, man. She started on the, on the absolute best. Uh, you know, despite helping her mother raise her seven younger siblings, Estelle was an incredibly gifted student, and she graduated age 18 with a GVNQ in media and communications. She told ES, I took it upon myself to be proactive with my homework. I was smart. I was the kid in class who always was always talking and yet would still get the answers right. I didn't get A's for my GCSEs, but I definitely got B's, C's, and D's. Now... Apparently, there was talk that she might go into law, but her heart was always in music. So from a very you know, young age in her formative years, she decided she wanted to be in music uh, as an artist, uh, as a journalist, in whatever capacity she could. So at 18, she left school and entered the industry, and she was writing for a music review website and working in a record store. Now, the website was called Darker Than Blue, and the record store was uh, Deal Real. And this record store was actually where she was first encouraged to make her own music. And she was really focused. You know, when you read interviews and listen to interviews and you hear the, the, the words that people talk about her at this time, um, the whole goal for her to move in the music industry was to use it as a learning exercise so she could begin to network her way into a career. Now, she would pop up at Lyrical Lounge, uh, the Hop and Scratch for open mic nights. And it was one night at Subterranea she got up on stage next to two legends, Roots Maneuver and Rodney P. Now, apparently, her proficiency was so great and the crowd was so impressed uh, that DJ Skits, who was a legendary British DJ in the crowd, actually called her the queen of British hip-hop. Uh, and he actually put her on his 2001 Countryman album, which a lot of people say is an incredible record and a very uh, genre-defining record. So it was literally from this one performance 
with Roots Maneuver and Rodney P in attendance, DJ Skit saw her and thought, man, she's got a lot of skill. And this was as a rapper. This was not as a singer back then. She was rapping. So she's very adept at networking and she got to work building up an impressive resume working with other producers and rappers she met through the record store or her reviewing job. Um, you know, she worked with 50 Cent Dynast- 57th Dynasty, Social Misfits, Against the Grain. Uh, then she recorded the track with uh, Black Twang for Trickstar. Trickstar was a song, came out in 2002. Now, this actually won the very first best hip-hop MOBO, and that was a huge get. Uh, Black, Black Twang won that. So that kind of like increased her credibility in the industry that she was working with such a massive name. Um, then she would go on to work with 3SL, Journey Rewind, and she began to embark on her solo career, releasing music under her own label, uh, Stella Rance. Now, her first major release was the track Excuse Me, and it's a super spacey, sweetly sung song with these hard-hitting rap verses in the middle. She sounds like a star off-rip. Like, you know, she sounds like the kind of... the blueprint that Nicki Minaj would set out later in her career with these like sung hooks and then like hardcore rap verses. It sounded a lot like Estelle um, from 2002. Uh, like, I mean, there's been plenty of MCs who've been able to do that, of course, male and female, but super adept, like super, super commanding, totally in control of the microphone, wholly capable of switching her style up at will. I mean, this is so early in her career. She would then go on to release Do You Like, Take It Off and her mixtape series, The Heat, now she said this about the label she was like releasing on. She says, I set up Stella Rance as a business so that what happens, whatever happens, I will always have that to fall back on. The artists I sign have to be real passionate and dedicated, whatever the music. But Estelle had far higher ambitions than just dropping a few independent mixtapes. You know, last week we obviously spoke about Getz, who was independent for nearly 20 years. JME the week before, proudly independent his entire career. Estelle was significantly different to that. She moved to the US for most of her career, and we'll speak about that as we get into this episode, but her ambition was to become the biggest artist she was capable of doing. She said this in an interview. She said about signing a deal, I waited on the right deal because labels are concerned with what's best for them, not you. You can't just take any deal a label might offer. If you're going to put your heart and soul into it, you better make sure you get yours. Go in there and demand what you're worth and let them know what you're capable of. V2, uh, know what they're dealing with and they will push me like a popular artist because that's what I am. So she explicitly said, I am a popular artist. Uh, And she has said in interviews, the reason she left V2 after her first album was they didn't know how to market her and she felt like she wasn't getting the cut through and the push that she deserved. Now V2 is Richard Branson's label, it was, and their connection was powerful enough that even though she would leave the label almost immediately after her debut album, she actually performed at a Virgin event in 2019. Um, so the scene was obviously set for a debut album. And, you know, while she was a huge fan, and this is important, while she was a huge fan of uh, Kanye, Nas, Jay-Z, Redman, Radziga, Most Def, Common, her two biggest influences, and this is probably not going to surprise anyone who's listened to Estelle's music, Missy Elliott and Mary J. Blige. Now she said... Oh, really? Yeah, that's shocking, <laughs> eh? <laughs> now she said, I like female artists who show that women don't have to strip off or compromise themselves to be recognized as musicians. And yeah, I think that's a great introduction to her debut album. Yeah, um, it isn't shocking, especially when you listen to something like The 18th Day, especially. Um, There's just so many tracks where I was just like, oh, so it's Mary J. Blige kind of track. And then then you just do a couple more 
and they're a bit left left of field, and you're just like, "All right, Missy, yeah, I see, I see where you're coming from." Um, so yeah, this did you like? Adding on to what I was talking about before, where like her music is literally just here's my influences, <laughs> literally on the sleeve, man, just uh, influence, 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 and that's respectable. I like that. I like those homages. Um, and but you know, with that said, it makes me wonder. Um, and I guess we kind of got an answer to this question later on in our discography. Um, but uh, I, I always, I've always, I've always wondered. Um, just well, not always, but I wondered when I was listening to her work this week. I was just like, how would she think about this stuff now in terms of just um, doing music that her heroes made? You know what I mean? Because a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of artists. Um, you know, pride themselves, right, off, while obviously everyone has influences, they try, they try their hardest, you know, to be unique, right, and in, you know, in some ways, it still has uniqueness in, in, in her, um, especially with just how she, how she balances, um, singing and rapping and juggling, uh, genres and subgenres in her music, um, is an interesting balance in, a balancing act, uh, whenever you listen to her work, Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I would say, in terms of the eighteenth day, I feel that you know it it works. It's 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 okay. It's a decent debut. Um, I do. I will say, nineteen eighty as a track is probably one of my favorite intro tracks I've ever heard. Um, it reminds me of Miss Dynamite's uh, Dynamite T um, a lot. Um, there's some just incredible parallels to those uh, particular tracks. Um, just obviously from the storytelling the visual uh the, the visuals that you get from it she just transports you to exactly where she were in her beginnings and stuff like that um and yeah i just i just love that track to death um and uh yeah you know past that uh no i don't think any of the tracks are as good um as as 1980 so in, in that case it's kind of, it's kind of a dip um but yeah you know and you have john legend on here as well on hey girl which is very fascinating and you know john legend pops up a few times um especially in the early albums and i find that interesting i find that very interesting and i the thing i can't get over i guess is that it's very obvious that she was working in the US and her music was coming off of people working either in the US or just American, uh, you know, uh, producers, for example, right? It comes off very obvious. Um, sometimes I'm listening to her and this is me. It's just, you know, partly just of my Britishisms, but I, I kind of listen. I'm just like, <sighs> I would like some more, I don't know, just, uh, British flavor to it, um, for whatever it is. I'm not saying uh, when did this drop? 2004, right? I'm not. I'm not expecting you know do some grime. That's not. That's not what I'm saying here. Um, I'm more saying it in terms of well, similar to 1980, right? Where it's that's a very British track in terms of what she's talking about and stuff like that. I just, I just feel there could have been more of that. There could have been more subject matter towards um, just herself um but it kind of just leads into this um it reminds me of um you know in the old old hollywood films right they they're all american right <laughs> but the the most of them are speaking this uh what's called king's english or queen's english right and it's not 
It's not quite American, but it's not quite British either. That's kind. That's kind of what I get from this album. It's kind of Queen's English, kind of uh, old Hollywood's uh, comparison. Uh, uh, comparison to that, um, where it's just not quite one or the other. It's kind of a mixture of both. And uh, you know, while it serves a purpose, it's fine as an album. It's cool. You know, it's not. I can listen to it again, right? I'm not offended by it. I just think there could have been more of that. Um, and <laughs> not to foreshadow, but uh, I'm going to say, I, I might say that a lot uh, for this uh, particular retrospective because uh, it doesn't go away, <laughs> that particular analogy that I just created. Yeah, I think 1980 is an incredible song. Uh, I think it might be Outstanding. one of the best songs. Um, now, this interview, which was reproduced for BritishHipHop.co.uk, is brilliant uh, about this album. She says, and I think this sums this perfectly, sums the record up. She says, I can't see myself straight rapping on a track with no melody. To me, that's boring, but I'm not one to pussyfoot around. If i got to say something, I say it. I can also be raw and aggressive. You need to be sometimes. Now, unfortunately for her, uh, the album didn't do what it needed to do commercially for her. Like, obviously, she had expectations. It went number 35 in the UK. Uh, didn't make any real noise internationally. And Estelle told The Guardian in 2008 it was due to changes at the label which actually left her without someone in her corner after this record. Uh, and she said that the label was trying to push her into collaborations with indie artists, and this wasn't the path that she saw herself walking down. Now, despite that, two of her biggest charting singles, uh, save, of course, American Boy, feature on this album. 1980 went number 14 in the UK chart, and Free went number 15, which is actually quite high. Now, I feel like Estelle is far too hard on this album. In an interview with Clayton Perry in 2008, when asked about this record, she says, I was 24 when the album came out. I was mad at myself. I was getting to know me and being comfortable with me. For the past five to six years, I've just lived. It was a little crazy what I went through, but it feels great now. So when she talks about this album in retrospect, uh, she doesn't outright say she doesn't like it, but she doesn't really say uh, that it's a favorite project of hers or that she, you know, a lot of artists talk about their debut albums with rose-tinted uh, glasses, you know, I saw Onyx on Saturday night and they referenced their 1993 album, debut album constantly and it's a fucking classic, obviously. And I actually think this is a great album. I'm not saying it's Onyx level, but like it's a great freaking album. I don't know that there's much criticism you can give to this. Um, now, according to her interview with Giant Mag, the title is a reference to her birthday, which is the 18th of October, which coincidentally is my birthday. Now, the album was a tribute oh. to her mother. Yeah, um, she says she says about this being a tribute to her mother. She said it's almost like me thanking her for bringing me there, bringing me here. Sorry. Now I I really freaking love this album. You know I think 1980 is my favorite non-American boy track by Estelle. Uh, deep autobiographical cut, touching on her birth, her family, going back to Africa, um, what it was like growing up poor, learning to cook. In the third verse she speaks about the man downstairs dying in his apartment and his cat eating him which is a pretty rough way to start the third verse of the second biggest single of your career. But, you know, uh, what fascinates me so much, though, I think, is how hard Estelle tried to blow up after this album. Uh, when I thought that all the tools were right here, you know, the production is super 2004. Like, it could have been the Neptunes producing this. Everyone was trying to rip them off back then. It's, to me, decidedly not British in the sense of sound. It sounds international. Like lyrically and her accent, definitely straight up British. 
but it didn't sound like grime. It didn't sound like drum and bass or jungle or garage music. It didn't sound like Dizzy or Roots Maneuver. It didn't sound like The Streets. Um, this album sounded like it dropped on Rockefeller. And the softer R&B numbers are far more endearing to me on this album than they would be on a couple of her later albums. Uh, you know, her singing is raw and unfiltered. Her observations about life and love aren't bogged down with overthinking and overanalyzing. Um, I think this is her most missy album, if we're going to compare, you know, to like her to her biggest influences. And that's going to come back around when I sum this episode it's like up. like super duper fly kind of era. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I actually think what she really wanted was under construction missy. Like, I think she wanted Miss E missy, you know. I think she wanted the cookbook missy. I think that she <coughs> saw for herself, you know, like five american boys on being on an album you know what i mean rather than one so i'll talk about that actually because the kanye connection actually came up during the recording of this album this is how john legend ended up on this record now she was on a trip in la and she actually saw kanye west eating at a roscoe's chicken and waffles restaurant she walked up to him and asked if she could meet john legend now legend told the guardian this is funny she walked up to kanye and said hey i'm estelle from london i love your work who's john legend i want to meet him recalls legend and it was funny because I was sitting right beside him. <laughs> so John Legend was right there with Kanye. And Estelle was like, who is this John Legend? I, I'd like to meet this this fellow. And John Legend was right there. And he ended up on the album. So um, and then we get to Shine, her next project. That's fun. That's a fun story. Um, so, yeah. Um, so shout out just, 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 you know, before, um, before we get into anything. Shout out. To all the guys that are five foot seven, this is probably the first track. How I've tall ever are you, heard. Charlie? How tall are you? <laughs> that is the first track I have ever heard where a woman is asking for someone under six foot. Big ups to you guys. Big ups. Big Winning. ups to the people under six foot. First and only win. First and only win for you guys. Jeez, man. This is getting... <laughs> Big win. This is getting Big re- 500 million short men replaying <laughs> this over and over and being like, I wish I wish I could meet an Estelle because yeah, it's Yo, just rough out there it. for them. Now, is it because five foot... I'm just, <laughs> five foot seven guys just my type. Is it just because it goes well with the lyrics and constructs How very well? Because saying five foot six... Uh, saying six foot one... Six foot two doesn't doesn't flow very well in the mouth. Seven, five foot seven. She could say six foot seven, but that'd be a bit od, right? Um, so you know, six five foot seven. seven is a compromise. Yeah, regardless of that, which is probably true, and <laughs> the only reason why she said it. Um, take it, take it, take the dub, guys. Take the dub. Shout out to the short kings out there. Shout out to them. Um, oh, another thing on that on American Boy, by the way. I literally did not know who produced it until this week. I just never bothered looking it up. Who did Son produce of a bitch. it? I didn't produce it. I didn't look it up either. That motherfucker Will I Am, bro. Oh, that's right. Of course. I've written it. Literally that got it in the episode. Yeah, Will I Am. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I saw that. I was like, this, this boy, this, this boy comes in with a fucking all-time heater. Unfucking believable. Just, just oh, you just don't know when when it's gonna when people are gonna come up, man. You just don't fucking know. Um, but yeah, past that, American boy, 
classic track. Um, just that is a fucking timeless track, and I mean that with any every sense of the word. I'll be listening to this when I'm fifty, sixty, ninety. It does not matter. So past that, a lot of interesting names on here. Um, in terms of just uh, you know, people she worked with during the uh, uh, uh credits. Credits is what I'm talking about. Uh, Mark Ronson. Did a couple of tracks here, um, including Magnificent, which is uh, one of my favorite tracks on here with Cardinal Official. Um, and also, uh, did it? Was it just that track? Yeah, just that track. Um, did some writing credit as well. Uh, Swizzy on um, <laughs> Shine. <laughs> Our boy Swizz Beats on uh, produced uh, Shine as well. Uh, bless you. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm trying to just. Uh, I, won't, I mean, technically, Grover Washington and Bob Marley on so much out of the way, but, you know, cover it. Uh, you know, credits and actual crediting, you know, uh, so, you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I think this album overall, I don't know what to feel about it. Because while I, you know, American Boy aside, and, you know, there's, some, there's a couple of good tracks here. I like um, uh, uh, Magnificent, like I said. So much out of the way. Uh, Back in love, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, you are actually with John Legend uh, is good as well. One two into pretty pleased with CeeLo Green. One into Shine either as a final track. Um, I feel I just I, don't, I wasn't really too into that as a title track, especially. I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of um I'm kind of in the middle with this album. Um, I th- I, th- I feel like uh I I, I don't know what. I could say is, again, apart from American Boy, uh, that weighting aside, I just don't really know what I can give it that is better than the Eighteenth Day. Um, yeah, I just, I, and I, I'm, from what you're talking about in terms of a backstory, I'm kind of just linking it in my head, and my two plus two is coming out as, is she trying too hard, um, to you know. To, to get five American boys, like you said. Um, and I feel like that happens, again, foreshadowing in uh, in, in the next album, especially. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, uh, apart from a few tracks, you know, I'm, 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 a kind, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of lukewarm on the whole album itself. I feel like it does, it tries, it tries too hard to, again, Jack of all trades it. Um, I feel like it just could have been some focus on a few, a few elements here, especially production-wise. I mean, even production is just like it's just a different person every t- nearly every time. Like you know, only, I think only Will I Am has two production credits, and the rest of them are just like per- new new person, new person, new person, new person. So I don't know. I just I just feel like that is probably the crux of it for me of just why I didn't in- enjoy this as fully as um the Eighteenth Day. Uh, yeah, I just feel like it was all over the place. is a bit of a bit of a harsh phrase to use, but that's the word, that's the phrase I'll I'll stick with for the for the sake of time. Yeah, I mean, I I think that she was trying to pop off with this album. I think this was you know we've seen a lot of albums like this where there's just a a lot of producers, like a significant amount of producers, because you're just trying to find that sound, you're just trying to find those hits, and you know I still wanted to be a star and continuing the kind of weird trend on this podcast of uh female rappers leaving britain and going to the u.s 
uh, still left her record label and left her country of birth to go and try and break it in America. But it did take a little bit of time. She didn't leave until 2007. In an ES cover story, they opened with this. I'll read that what they wrote. In late 2007, Estelle sat in the freezing cold on the balcony of her Brentford home and screamed at God. Why, she wanted to know, was she in limbo? In 2004, she'd been talked of as the British MC most likely to challenge the mainstream and had a top 20 hit with the brilliantly energetic R&B track 1980. Then she was dropped by her record label. No one wanted to take a risk on me. They were more used to a woman rapping on the sidelines, not being in control and at the center of it all, she shrugs. Ahead of her time... In her desire to bring urban music to the mainstream, she found herself between record deals, her future uncertain. So the John Legend connection was really important. When she moved to the US and began looking for a new label, it was actually John Legend who signed her. He signed her to his homeschool label, and she was the very first signing to that label. And that was being distributed by Atlantic in the US. Uh, And of course, by this time, John Legend and Kanye West were very tight and creating a lot of music together. I mean, John Legend, I think he was the first signing to good music. I think he might have been the first artist signed to Kanye's label. Yeah, I think so. Mm. So the hype was really great around Estelle. Uh, when she arrived in the US, some media outlets were calling her the British version of Lauren Hill. Ah, uh, I knew I knew someone would do it. I knew someone would just put a put a name next to her, and it's just going to be not. It's just going to be not applicable. Like, like, come on, man, can't do that. That's so she told Clayton Perry. She raps Perry, and sings. Lauren she, Hill's like, she, no, bro, come on. <laughs> reach, reach. It's so basic. I hate I people to do that. It's so basic. She told, um, she told Clayton Perry this about this. She said, I think these comparisons come up because we both love reggae music. Um, I grew up from reggae. Her lyrics are really quite complicated. Mine are more down to the point. It doesn't take away from her. When you listen to it now, it is as powerful as it was listening to it 10 years ago. I just think with me, I don't do long-winded. I don't overextend anything. When you listen to the song and the way I sing the lyric, that's the way I speak. When we have a conversation, that's the way I talk. When I'm on stage, that's how I speak to people. Now, you know, I knew that Lauren Hill was long-winded. Like, maybe she could have chosen her words a little bit better there. But uh, with John Legend ex- executive producing... <laughs> <Is he> wrong? <laughs> I mean, it's long-winded, like... Long-winded implies just, like, going on and on and on and on. Like, yes, her lyrics are complex, but long-winded? Like, doo-wop I, I is, mean, doo-wop is not in, a long-winded she's song. Bag, she's in her bag. To, like, to Zion is she, not a long-winded be, It may be song. few and far in between. It may be few and far in between of going in the bag, but when she's in the bag, she's in the bag. She gets very complicated. Yeah, I mean, long-winded, she's got one album. It's not like she's, I don't mean, like I she's don't hitting mean, us. With... I don't mean long-winded in that way. I don't mean long-winded in that she's constantly talking, constantly dropping it. I mean, like, when she's talking, it's long-winded. Uh, I don't know if I agree fully. Like, but maybe it's a British thing. Maybe it's, it's a Britishism different framing, that I don't... Different framing. Okay, different framing. No, it's all, it's all good. It's all good. We'll, uh, I, I think the comparisons were so unfair on Estelle. Like, it's an insane wrong, comparison. Wrong, I mean... Yeah. If they'd said even Missy, like that would have been a wild comparison too. But, you know, John Legend was executive producing this album. So, wild collaborations. Obviously, Will I Am producing two tracks, Mark Ronson, as Charlie said, uh, Swizz Beats, who raps. I, I Did you see that thing I posted on Twitter about Swizz Beats yes. being. Does, what, when does <laughs> he, he rap? The, a lot of people tripping up, man. <laughs> when does he rap? He did. He did. He, he's done albums. Have you been uh, seen his solo albums? He's got solo albums. Someone but hasn't anyway. played GTA Four. Yeah, that's my problem. I, I was. Top down with my I was Jirio. five. Hey, I'm just getting my hood on. I'm just. I'm just doing my thing. 
fucking see. I knew. I knew if I came. I knew if I came in here and asked the the true Swiss beat stand, then he would know. GTA Four, man. So yeah, a lot of lot of production on this. A lot of different producers on here. The album was given rave reviews, by the way, seventy five review average, which is really high. Uh, number six on the UK chart, 38 on the Billboard 200, two Grammy nominations, nominated for the Mercury Prize in 2008. She told oh. Clayton. Yeah. Sorry, I just need to stop you because I was, um, I wanted to put this, I wanted to put you onto this when it came to awards and especially uh, American Boy. So, <laughs> would you like to know uh, who be, uh, what song? And what artists, I guess, uh, in this in this additional case, uh, beat her to the Brit, uh, to the Brit Awards uh, nominations as she got in two thousand and nine. No. Uh, so she was nominated for Best British Female um, and also British Single of the Year, which in this case, judging by the Wikipedia, had eliminations towards it as well. So the 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 song the single of the year that won was Girls Girls Allowed uh, the Promise. Okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. just over my over both of our heads, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, but in the elimination, which went day by day by day, and I'm assuming went on and then had like uh, four finalists or five finalists, right? So we also had uh, the X Factor finalist of 2008 with Hero. Don't remember. Uh, Adele's Chasing Pavement. Uh, Dance with me. 2008. Uh, this is 2009 Brits. Um, so yeah, oh, both. Yeah, of, of, of 2008, right? Yeah, because they do it in, like, February. They do it in February, so it's basically 2008, technically, but obviously, chronologically, it's 2009. So, yeah, Chasing Pavements um, was eliminated next. Then our our our, our, our track, uh, Dizzy Rascals Dance With Me, um, and then Alex Alvarez, Hallelujah, and uh, and then Girls Loud won. But on a side note, um, I, wanna, I just want to... I feel like this would piss you off um, for British Album of the Year, just for side note. So we had uh, the Ting Tings with uh, We Started Nothing. Oh, uh, legendary. I'm glad you're saying that. It's going to get better. Oh. Uh, Coldplay's uh, Viva La Vida. Oh, my youth. Uh, <laughs> Elbow, <laughs> the self-sync oh. kid. Oh. I, need, I need to see your face. I need to see your my face. My youth. Okay. These didn't win, okay? I'm just, I know. Wait, just wait. Next one. Radioheads in Rainbows. And the winner is Duffy's Rock Ferry. <laughs> oh, fuck it. This is the Mercury Prize? No, it's the Brit Awards. The, the Brit the Awards. I was going to say, holy sheesh. The how, did Coldplay, <laughs> how did Coldplay not win that, though? <laughs> like, that, that was massive. I've never seen such a, I've never seen such a Ben, ben oh. uh, nomination list. Fuck and him. the one that he's not into didn't win. Uh, win nah, that's disappointing. Anyway, side anyway. note. Tangent. I just wanted to get those off because that I found that hilarious. But but American Boy was eliminated first out of all of those. That's crazy. I, I just can't. Oh, Such a tune, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brits suck. Fuck the Brits. But yeah, anyway, carry on. Well, she told Clayton Perry. She said the label called me. The album's on Mercury. Yada yada. Oh, I'm famous. You know what? This is a great album despite all the pressure I've had. They listen to the music. They listen to the sound and they hear that it made an impact. At one point, I didn't want an album that everybody slept on, that it was just okay. I want people to have a great reaction. Uh, Obviously, American Boy, number nine on the Hot 100, number one in five different countries, including the UK, top 10 in 22 countries, won the Grammy for Best Rap Song Collaboration. 
Um, yeah, man, The Guardian rated it the 85th greatest UK number one song. Now, Estelle told Pete Lewis, we were just messing around in the studio, joking around, and Jordan Legend just said to me, why don't you write a song about meeting an American boy? So I was like, well, that's pretty easy because I have a lot of male friends out here in New York. Uh, and I unwittingly ended up creating a new ladies anthem. Kanye basically just brought his own cheeky self to the track, his own sense of humor. At first he was like, how can you rap over dan a dance beat? And now he's done it, which I found pretty silly because he literally had dropped Stronger the year before, uh, which is a dance song anyway. Um, in the Guardian article from 2008, they led with the tagline, Mobo Win is a vindication for singer who, want who had to move to the US to find success. So I find that pretty lame journalism. Estelle had success in the UK with her first album. Naturally, this record was gonna scale much higher heights with that push. She dropped five singles off that album. Uh, American Boy was the only one to chart in the US. Come Over didn't chart until they added Sean Paul to the song, so the remix. Now the joy of Estelle's artistry on tracks like Wait A Minute, uh, you know, she sounds commanding and I feel like it was good that they didn't overload her songs with features on here because it would have lost her unique voice. Um, I'm glad they didn't just throw the whole industry at this album, but yep. it's super clear the success of this album came almost solely from American Boy, to be honest. I want to say before we get to the next one, because um, you mentioned just um, that Guardian article. Now, I haven't read it, but um, I'm, 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 it, 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 it brought me to this headspace. Um, while... While for Estelle it's probably a little bit different, um, in in this case of what I'm about to say, uh, I can I can see why, uh, I can see why a lot of people end up going to the US, right? Um, there's just more opportunity there compared to here. Um, Ella May's a good example. I think she was actually on X Factor, um, or one of the singing shit from ye like years ago and then obviously went to america and now she's lma one of the i'm assuming she just songwrites all day now because i don't actually listen to her music um but yeah uh you know even though sampha for example i feel like you know even though he, ha he has some you know good roots here in the uk he went to the us to songwrite for beyonce and shit right so when you get the opportunity you just take it. Mm. Um, this this kind of more links to other forms of art. I feel um, you know there was obviously the the lot of uh, uh, like a few years ago was, um, a lot of uh, uh, African American uh, actors and directors and that just talking about oh so many British people taking American roles Ooh, uh, British invasion all over again um, and there was all that hullabaloo. Um, but take it from me, bro. Like it's just uh, in the film industry, especially, um, it's hard. It's hard to get a foot in. Like Daniel Kaluuya was like on a sketch show. Uh, he had a, he had a regular. He was a regular on a sketch show here called Harry and Paul. Like ten, fifteen years ago now. How long it was? Really good sketch show, by the way. High high tier. Uh, shout out to Harry and Paul. Um, but you know he was there. Uh, he had that recurring skit sketch, and then he was kind of in the middle. And as soon as he went to the US, popping off, right? Same with, similar to, I guess, John Boyega. I mean, his is a little bit different. He did Attack the Block and then kind of had nothing and then just went to Star Wars. So a little bit more unique there. But the, but trust me, there are so many artists um, 
maybe not as well documented in film and TV, in music as it is with film and TV, but I, it's a real thing. The, just mm. the migration from just like not being able to get opportunities in the UK, you just go somewhere else. It doesn't even have to be the US, but obviously, you know, people just do the US because uh, culturally it's the closest connected um, and don't have to learn a language or anything. So, yeah, you know, a lot of people do that. Um, not to say that Estelle did that, uh, did it in that case, um, but it is, it is a genuine issue, I guess, that the fact that the UK can't keep some of its talent. Um, in the arts yeah no I, I fully agree I mean it's it's really fascinating to look at it because you know obviously Estelle lived in the US for such a long period of time in her career and I mean my my issue with it is like especially with Cookie Crew and Moni Love um, and other artists who have done it is they never really gave it an opportunity in the UK I mean Estelle dropped one album and it did pretty well uh, she never really attempted to continue down that path. She just immediately went to the US. And it happens a lot in Australia too. I mean, obviously it happens way more in Australia because we're way smaller. We're way less likely for people to blow up down here and make like real money out of it. So yeah, man, I, but I then fully... again, But then again, Sampa the Great went to Australia and that's where she kind of... That's like, true. Started getting things, so... Mm, that's true. So, yeah, you know, Australia's not the, not as bad as an incubate as you thought, I guess. No, that's true. Um, yeah. yeah, man. Then we get all of me. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting album. In the in the interim, she collabed with Gym Class Heroes, Buster Rhymes, David Guetta, Robin Thicke, Ghostface, Latoya, Gucci Mane, Faith Evans, Talib Kweli, Raekwon and Deck, Swiss Beats, Rhapsody, uh, Currency, Consequence, Jim Jones, Busy Crook. She toured Europe and the US extensively. She was playing huge festivals and award shows, uh, MTV Europe Music Video Awards, VH1 Hip Hop Honors, 2009 Brit Awards. She went on Conan in 2009. She was exploding. She moved to New York, like from, I think she must have been in LA prior, and continued to plot her next move. She told the ES cover story, I needed some space, plus I never like my records to be lazy. I always want to invent and be new. All of me dropped on John Legend's homeschool label via Warner and Atlantic. It was kind of a rough start. It didn't get better commercially from the album for that, from that rough start though either. Like it, it just didn't go anywhere. The first, and this is why I think she changed up so dramatically in the last two albums. The first two singles were meant to be massive. So Freak was featuring Cardinal Official and produced by David Guetta, who was on the back of two number one albums and two top two singles, by the way. The other track was Fall In Love with John Legend and Nas. Now Freak is fascinating to me. Um, now, Cookie Crew might not want to take credit for it, but they were stupidly influential because Freak is just a straight-up Euro dance track. Like, Estelle got criticized for wearing uh, dark black makeup on her face during the song, and there was a bit of a, like, talk around that about the makeup that she was wearing. Uh, but neither song, this track or Fall in Love, charted on the Hot 100 in the US, so the label left them both off the album. Instead, they tried even harder they grabbed Rick Ross for the pretty low tier Break My Heart. He dropped that as the first single. Super middling song. Didn't chart on the Hot 100 either, despite the Don Cannon production and a remix that had Buster and Jada and a part two that had Raycon and Wretch 32. They were really trying to push this song and it did not go where they wanted it to go. So then they went for Thank You, which was co-written by Akon and samples Wildflower by Doug Edwards, a track that is really instantly recognizable because it's been sampled by so many people. The, the song Wildflower, not necessarily the Doug Edwards version, there's other versions of it. 
but Tupac, Jamie Foxx, Kanye himself have uh, redone it. It's a very sleepy and pretty dull track, um, but it's by far the highest stream song on the album, and it did manage to chart on the Hot 100 at number 100. Um, Do My Thing with Janelle Monet for me, is the best track on the album. Super fun. I also really love the interlude skits. Uh, you know, the album comes at the end of a three-year relationship for Estelle, which ended quite suddenly. She told ES, when I first met him, I asked him not to mess with me. I asked him to be 100% with me. Three years down the line, he did the exact opposite. This is me reading the cover story. Her eyes flash with tears again. Her voice is croaky. So thank you is about growing up, turning into a woman and not being bitter. Not being angry at myself for choosing the wrong guy. She sniffs and reaches for a biscuit. My American friends, an actress, a glasses designer, a school teacher, and my homegirl came around and physically held me up. They took me bowling. I didn't have to cry when they wouldn't let me. Uh, They kept telling me I did too good by him. So yeah, I think that that sets the tone for the next two albums, that's for sure. But this was kind of like Shine Part 2 for me, uh, but it didn't hit. So then she switched it up after this. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, it's kind of a disheartening thinking about uh just how much was thrown at this album, and Jesus Christ, I don't like this album. <laughs> like, it's not good. Like, it was, it was just, oh, I just I just didn't enjoy listening to it overall. It's just uh, like the fact that Free Can Fall in Love on Deluxe Edition is just it kind of just says it all for me, really. Like just. I I've no I don't I don't remember I don't I can't remember that hap I'm I'm sure it has happened but I can't remember that happening to an album of any weight of like when of your singles uh your first two singles anyway going on the deluxe edition and not even being on the main album like, yeah but it happens quite about- it's a it's such a label thing I don't understand why labels do it because. Why not just put the songs on the album anyway? Just because they didn't hit commercially, yeah. that doesn't really mean anything. I guess they think, I don't know, like people have already heard them, people don't like them, so they're going to be turned off by putting them on the album. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and you and it sends a weird message to put it on the deluxe edition. I agree. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't get. I don't get the. <clears throat> I don't get the mindset towards that. I don't get the reasoning, but. Um... Unfortunately, the best thing, the only, the, yeah, the main thing I like about this are the skits themselves, however yeah, short they may be. Um, I like the conversations that I had. Uh, I just, I don't, know, I like the beat behind it. <laughs> I like the beat behind it. All. Funny enough, the, the the skit, the skit slash interludes have the best beat on here in my mind. It's just this nice mellow, just this nice mellow beat going on. I really enjoy it, and then. It kind of just makes it kind of just makes me sad to know that this is this particular thing's gonna be done in a minute, and I just have to go on and embrace the rest of it track by track, and I'm just like, oh, God, more, and um, you know, I, I, I don't know, man. It's just it just did not, it just did not hit. Um, international, fuck me, that's a horrible track. I just, it's so 2012. It hurts my hurts my feelings. So I just, uh, 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 it's not. Yeah, that that track in particular is ain't it. Um, Chris Brown and Trey songs aside, it's just not great. And then add them on, I'm just like, oh god, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, it does improve past international for me. Um, but I can't, I can't. I'm still, I'm looking at the track list and I'm just like, <sighs> I don't know if I enjoyed. I uh, maybe, I guess I enjoyed Found My Way. 
but even with that case, bro, I'm kind of reaching to be honest. Um, I, just, I just I wasn't really into into much of it. I, I, I think it says a lot that these the the interludes are the best part about this album because uh, they just come they just come across very honest. And uh, again, I just like the mellowness towards them. And then you just have this. 2012 energy come in the next track and i'm just like i don't know about this bro yeah i don't know yeah yeah it's not great well then we get true romance uh which first up has hands down her worst song uh make her say beat it up that's that's a that's a garbage one and they decided to lead to reduce it uh, sorry release it as the lead single um Not sure why they did that one. Uh, she actually self-released this record through her own label and via Sony BMG. It charted 31 on the US R&B hip-hop chart, but it did not chart anywhere else. Um, and this was kind of the end of her attempts to go mainstream. Um, she managed to secure a Justice League beat for the track Silly Girls, but outside of that, it's pretty low-key affair production-wise. No major features. Huge departure from her previous work thus far. Reviewed mid to low tier, Metacritic has it as a 64. Now, in 2013, Estelle announced her new record label, originally called New London Records, um, which I found a bit cheeky because she hadn't lived in London for six years. But she dropped three EPs via this partnership, three-part Love and Happiness series. The only track that actually appears on the album from this three-part series is Make Her Say, which I found a bit weird. But it was clear she was moving into a new phase of her career. Her partnership with BMG to create the label, she said allowed her far more creative freedom over her work and it comes out on this album to me despite it being just 11 tracks it's actually based on four themes courage passion bullshit as she calls it and true romance Uh, she told you know i got soul about this um it's about courage passion and the bs and of course the whole album about being true romance uh it's just about finding terms on your level and not bending over it's not about being a person that's living under a bunch of bullshit and then calling it life because you have a bunch of people co-signing it. It's about being truthful, being yourself, and being okay with yourself. All the songs represent that. It's a much softer album sonically than her previous work. I think it's far more R&B focused. I would argue much less poppy. Uh, She raps far less on here, and she told, you know, I got soul about that. I never thought about it. There were a couple of rap records, but I didn't like them. At this point in my career, if I'm going to do anything, I have to love it. Now, what I love about the concept of this album and the narrative is how it attaches herself to the previous record, All of Me. Now, whether she intended this or not, I think she probably did, because if we circle back to that quote at the end of the last album, where she said this about her relationship breakup, thank you is about growing up, turning into a woman and not being bitter, not being angry at myself for choosing the wrong guy. Um, they kept Her friends kept telling me I did too good by him. So I think the implication with the title, All of Me, is she gave too much of herself away in that relationship. And I've heard countless stories of my friends and, you know, being in dating myself. Uh, that That's always a really dark path to tread down when you kind of lose yourself to a relationship, even if it's the right person. But usually it isn't. And unfortunately, you get too deep to see it. So I love what she says about True Romance This album in this interview with Pop Crush. She says this, it was more to explore what happens when you're single after the relationship ends and you're kind of just there trying to figure out what's next before jumping into another one. Um, so yeah, I found that really interesting. She That's quite a long quote and she talks about how important it is to you know work on yourself and figure yourself out uh, and like talk about it from a single perspective. And so I see this record as an assertion and a journey of understanding. There's no right or wrong time to get into a long-term relationship. And I think people who tell you that are being 
very reductive, but there is a right or wrong person. And sometimes uh, that person is you. Sometimes you're the wrong person, you know, and I'm not saying Estelle is at all. I'm not saying that. Uh, But just that a relationship is really hard work, but being single is hard work too. It's not easy. And I appreciate that Estelle took the time on this record to address what that process felt like to her. Someone who was seeking true romance, but also using that as a metaphor to begin living her life by not suffering bullshit, moving through the world with passion and courage. Um, And that's why I love this album. I really, really love this album. It's not my favorite. Her debut album is always going to be my favorite. I don't think it's her best. Um, I probably won't listen to it too often, but I do think it's brilliant because of the state of being that she captured really well on this record. Uh, I, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. It pertains to make her say. Um, you like it? It's great track. It's great track. Right? <laughs> Spoke to you, did it? Spoke to you. As as a card carrying member of the of the boxing society, uh, I wholeheartedly. Uh, oh, there's nothing uh, wrong with that. That's, uh, that's credit not my, credit this credit this criticism. song uh, for its uh, for its for its uh, lyrical content. Do we get a card? Uh, Do we? I think my card hasn't come yet. Oh. Uh, International, you know, overseas takes a minute. Uh, takes a while. But I mean, it's it's been a while for me. Like it's been a couple of decades. <laughs> hey man, people get letters fifty-eight years later or some shit. I mean, like, oh, fuck. It I'll keep yeah. waiting by the the letterbox then. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come. Um, but yeah, uh, no, it's, it's 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 not a fun track. It's a bit awkward. Um, but yeah, past that, um, city girls. One of my favorites, especially the sample, uh, which is A Spectrum's. I don't want to play around and only know that for a fact because uh, there are literally every track I hear that from, hear that sample, I just fucking love. Um, shout out to uh, Nappy High and uh, Lava LaRue, especially. Um, but yeah, I think the you were talking about the concepts and the four parts. I feel like that's something that that concept really comes through for this album and is probably the best part about it um in terms of just how it's structured uh <laughs> i find it so fascinating that conqueror uh was not just um fuck where is it gone i found it somewhere it's gone anyway uh it was uh, oh there we go uh on the on the 2014 film addicted uh, which i have not seen um yeah, I've not seen that. And also in TV series Empire, which I kind of remember actually watching, uh, funny enough. What a, weird, what a weird time in life that was. Um, but yeah, I just... <laughs> that track... I just don't like that track, bro. It's just... Uh, it's very Empire. Um, I, it, it mixes very well for what that show was. Very dramatic and very... Uh, very... Uh, very large, very grandiose. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm just not into that track at all. Um, but you know, past that again, City Girls. Um, just really love that track. Um, and uh, you know, I don't mind Timeshare. I like the I like the progression that takes. Um, something Good Devotion is a weird one. It's one of those it's one of those annoying ass tracks where it's two tracks in one, and like I like one of them but not the other. Um, uh, and you know, yeah, past that, uh, it's it's kind of. I mean, it's the shortest. I think it's the shortest of her albums. I think if I'm correct if I'm wrong. Title, uh, track list anyway, definitely is. Um, and yeah, I like the, I like the, especially the, the, the encapsulation of concept. I feel like uh, is probably just my, my favorite thing about this. Uh, there are a few tracks here that are decent. Um, I don't mind it overall as a listen. I don't think it's the her worst album. Um, it's, it's definitely, be- it's, a, it's a step up from all of me. 
um, especially f- uh, for me personally. Um, so yeah, I'll, you know, that's a dub, I guess. In some ways, it's a bit, of, yeah, it's a W. So yeah. Yeah, man. Then we get Lovers Rock. Uh, very interesting album. Very interesting. Finally, album. Ben's wheelhouse reggae. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly reggae. Like it's surprising. I, I don't know a lot about reggae at all. Reggae and, and country music completely different opposite ends of the spectrum. But look, I think the wild thing about Estelle is she wanted success so badly back in London that she had to uproot her entire life to move to the U.S. and push herself really hard to achieve it. But by the mid two thousand and tens. Uh, by her own admission to Complex in 2018, she was not interested in fame and fortune. She even recalls once having a chef cook for her and it made her feel so uncomfortable, she just decided to start cooking for herself. Now, as she sought to avoid fame, funnily enough, it kept finding her. She appeared on Empire and sung her single Conqueror from her previous album um, with a pre-infamy Juicy Smoulier, uh, which helped her to number 42 on the Hot 100. She sung the theme song for the Cartoon Network show she appeared on the TV show Steven Universe and the subsequent video games, which led to appearances at Comic-Con and a whole new generation of kids and their parents who fell in love with her. And all of this came at the moment when she dropped her most recent album. Now, Love is Rock was billed as a reggae album, charted number two on the US reggae albums chart. Nowhere else, though. And it actually began sounding very similar to Shine when she was recording it, she told Complex, but she didn't like the fact that it was sounding too much like a previous record, so she switched it up heavily. She told her told Complex this album isn't about her own love story, but more about her parents, who actually, as we said, separated when Estelle was just a child, but then they actually reunited and remarried 20 years later, which is incredible. She said, My parents are now committed to the idea of freedom because they'd lived under the idea that they couldn't be free in the space of love or with each other because of internal social shit. So I really love her content arc post All of Me. Love is Rock, at least to me, is the natural progression past true romance because I think on that record she was seeking it although not forcing it and still trying to define what it meant for her. I felt like on this record she's kind of gazing upon one expression of true romance and that's with her parents and admitting there's no objective version of it. It's entirely individual. There's a lot of self-expression and introspection on this album, a lot of diving inward to understand how she works and how that manifests. Uh, She told Complex, my parents are happy together and that gives me hope. I still thought it was a beautiful love story and it gave people hope and that's how this album came to be. And I just wanna like, I'll sum up here. You know, Estelle provided a laundry list of legends she's been influenced by, but she always came back to Missy Elliott and Mary J. Blige, two vastly different artists. Missy was the vibrant closet genius in the early 90s who then created something entirely new every time she created anything. No one is ever going to compare to Missy Elliott. Uh, Estelle was able to drop a legendary pop rap mashup in American Boy, but she was never really able to recreate it. Um, I also don't think she's ever tried to mimic Missy. I don't think she's ever tried to do that. But I can certainly see her influence littered all over Estelle's work from 2002 to 2012. Her most recent two albums, to me, are much more aligned with Mary, the queen of R&B and hip-hop soul, the queen of emotional content, of taking heartache and turning it into some of the most impactful music ever released. But more so than that, Mary was supremely resilient in a way that almost defies belief. The pain that she endured should have turned her bitter and resentful, but instead she sung with her heart open on every track and she sung with hope that if she learned from every experience, it would make the next experience better. And I felt like Estelle is tracking a very similar path. Her self-reflection hasn't turned egotistic. 
She hasn't sought out, uh, you know, fame and fortune the way that she did early in her career. She's actually gone in the opposite direction. She has sought out truth and knowledge from the people she values most and turned that into music for us. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I didn't really know what to expect from this episode, but I leave it feeling a lot of love for Estelle and a lot of connection to her. I was a little bit put off by her stardom seeking sojourn to the US. But again, I have to remember that Estelle was following the path she chose for herself. You know, she wanted to be a commercial success. And as Charlie said, this was probably the best way for her to do that. So my criticism of that is null and void. It's redundant. I don't, I don't get to have an opinion on that. When she came to the end of that road, she didn't become bitter and resentful and industry hating. She pivoted beautifully into acting and a different kind of music. And I think that's always to be commended. And I, I love Estelle's last two albums, especially this one. I, I think this is a great project. Yeah, uh, I think overall this is probably my favourite to listen to. Um, uh, Lovers Rock, definitely. Um, and I echo your sentiments, actually. Uh, I feel like if <laughs> there's a lot of artists we've covered um, that may have had, uh, you know, not not the luck of the draw, let's just say, um, whether it be of their own volition or just label bullshit or, you know, just people not fucking with their, sh- with their music. Um I feel like if if something like All of Me happened for a lot of artists, a lot of them would just seriously rethink and probably never drop again. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she continued on the music side is very commendable. Uh, on Lovers Rock, uh, a little less, a little reggae lesson for you guys. So Lovers Rock is basically a uh, overtly romantic uh, style of uh, reggae music um, with a stylistic origin in Rocksteady um, which was a successor to Scar um, so don't again the Scar but yeah it's basically where reggae comes from um, but yeah, Rocksteady is kind of like the in-between it's, uh, it's in between Scar and reggae um, but Rocksteady itself was very steeped in uh, just uh, jazzy in jazz influenced right um r&b of the time mid 60s right um and most of them lyrically were love songs right uh and that kind of borrowed from the likes of motown and stuff like that uh and then came lovers rock uh which came of age in good old london in uh, the 70s um and it was basically an offshoot of rocksteady um quite literally um and and again very steeped in just love songs hence the term lovers rock and uh if you guys have actually seen the steve mcqueen film lovers rock highly recommend uh one of the best films you will see ever (laughs) it's just i I don't even want to time it but it's just it's just out it's just a really uh it's a really intense film in a lot of ways but not in the ways you think um but yeah it's just a very fascinating watch and uh, really plays with time very uh, very interestingly uh by literally having a, li- a like a 10 minute uh, uh a 10 minute scene of basically of a piece people in the party just singing janet k's uh silly games silly games and i went back to it and um it's very fascinating. Like I've I've never seen a scene like that where they they're just so 
they're, they're sticking to it. They don't. No, there's no cutting. Well, there's cutting, but you know, what I mean, there's, they're just constantly singing the song, and they just sing the song twice, basically. Um, but anyway, that's what Lovers Rock is, and obviously that's the um, dedication towards this uh, for Estelle, and uh, I think she fulfills it um, in interestingly. Uh, I wouldn't say the whole album is of Lovers Rock in terms of sound. Uh, maybe lyrically, I guess uh, she nails it in that fashion. Um, but yeah, I just really appreciate uh, her going for this, and uh, really, I'm, I'm really trying. I'm really giving it a go, um, especially from the uh, features. I really uh, uh, just go very, very well. Uh, Luke James on "So Easy," amazing. Uh, Chronics on "Queen," outstanding track. Uh, Hood Celebrity on "Karma" is very interesting as well. Mm. Uh, uh, Alakai Harley on "Slow Down" as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just some really good stuff all around here, and it's probably the album I enjoy listening to from front to back the most. Um, uh, yeah, it's just some really, it's just a really nice full body of work, um, and uh, it's the first one she uh, executive produced as well. Um, so I think that really, that really brings home to what, uh, to what, uh, and I think established nineteen eighty records. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's a label. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it is. By yeah. The name. Yeah, yeah judging by the name so you know but that said as well um it just it's an incredible full circle moment i feel um to have somebody that was unashamedly trying to you know trying to go for the clout <laughs> uh and uh to to put it lightly and um came came around came back around after some successes some failures to come back around and do something completely different and to do it on her own terms and to do it under her own imprint and to, you know, just and just be all her in that sense and just have some really good sounds towards it and um, some nice link to history that people may not be aware of, uh, whether it be Rocksteady, Loves Rock or um, Reggae in general. Um, so, yeah, man. Shout out to Estelle. I feel like that's a very, inter- uh, very fun and... Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think we have. We really have like a really proper full circle arc um, in terms of a, in terms of a discography story, I guess, um, which is obviously the uh, the scope we give our episodes. Uh, but yeah, we really do. But I feel like this is a very. Yeah, it, it's it's left me it's left me feeling uh, content. You know, it's not it's not. I'm not I'm not stuffed. I don't feel hungry for more. You know what I mean? It's just like it's like you've had a good meal, uh, just uh, going through her story. So uh, yeah, shout out to Estelle, um, doing her things, man. Always. For real, for sure. Uh, so yeah, let's hop into a light note. How was Onyx? Yeah, man, Onyx was wild as fuck. So, like, firstly, I like how of all the videos you showed me, you showed me some, <laughs> some. I don't know. He looked like a lumberjack. Looked like six foot ten or some shit. Like just rapping. I'm just like, okay. It was it was a it was a weird night because we got there at like the doors were started at eight and we um we were on the doors we we got tickets to the event and when we got to the door the guy I said to her well, we're on the door and she's like oh your media she didn't even ask for our names she just gave us freaking media passes and we went in and I wanted to see my favorite Australian rapper Lee Munro because he was on stage at he said he was going to be on stage at nine. So we got there at like half eight to make sure we didn't miss it, right? So half eight, we got there. Onyx didn't come on till half 11. There were like four opening acts and 
Two I'd of have to them be on the train home by then. Two, bro, you, you don't even, like, I was just like, I was livid. I was tired. I'm old. I'm too old for this. It's too late. And I'd have I was, to stay till 2 a.m. for shows. I just physically can't. Yeah, we've got to get home on the, on the, do they not have a night bus for you? Night bus? That would take like an hour and a half. No, no. Yeah. It's either train, yeah. it's either train or a hundred quid for a taxi or some shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's yeah. Not it. I, have yeah to, I have to literally be out by like 11 so I can catch a train for like half past. Like, that's be it. Yeah, that's mad frustrating. I mean, that we were, we were pretty frustrated. I mean, the opening acts weren't that... There were a couple that were really good, and then they just kept bringing them out, and we're like, guys, come on. I think there were, there were actually five opening acts, and we're just like, guys, come on. Fine. So Onyx finally Onyx finally come out, right? And the crowd's just going bonkers. It's a festival. <laughs> it, it literally is. And <laughs> it's a one-day festival. So Sticky Fingers is up there like in a hoodie and he's quite he's really quiet to start with. Fredro Starr is the one making all the noise. And I said to my partner, I'm like, I reckon I don't know if Sticky Fingers is gonna get through this set. Like he he doesn't look like he's the fittest, right? Wrong. Wrong. Fucking wrong. So about two songs in, Sticky Fingers takes his jumper and his shirt off. Holy shit, bro, have you seen this man? He could rip you limb from limb. He's in his 50s. He's fucking ripped up like crazy. The fittest motherfucker in the entire place. And they went off like a straight hour of just energy and insanity. And, bro, every single song hit. There was no low moments. The crowd was going bonkers. The amount of energy they had. Like, I haven't seen a show like that in a long time. Like, they did really well in their 50s. And they had that that much energy. The crowd were hanging on every word. It was a really great performance. It was um, it was amazing. Uh, if you if anyone gets a chance to see Onyx, uh, even if you don't know their music that well, I mean, I only know their first album well, and I don't even know it like supremely well. It's not an album I grew up with. It's an album I discovered later in life, and was like, oh wow, this is special. Uh, and obviously they dropped three albums this year and I've probably, I think I've reviewed all three or at least two of them. So I've been listening to their music, their most recent content, but I don't know word for word every song, but it doesn't matter. It does not matter. The energy in there was bananas. And uh, the amount of times, the amount of people that Fred Star paid homage to, I really respected that. Like he just mentioned everyone and yeah man it was it was a freaking amazing performance it was so good even with everything all the weirdness there were weird things that happened to us weird interactions we had um people that we met that didn't turn out the way we thought it were going to be like it was a journey it was a massive journey that night and uh yeah that like something struck me at one point because we had our little media armbands on and you know what like these kind of shows are like like everyone who can be on stage is going to get up on stage at some point and i said to my partner like like there were like 15 people on stage behind them filming them and the opening acts and you know people with media on them and i'm like we could be on stage with onyx right now <laughs> like we we literally could legally like there's nothing stopping us but i've never been in that position before so i'm like i'm not i'm not fucking going up there like that would be that would be crazy but yeah, man, it was a, it was a freaking amazing performance. Shout out Onyx. So when did it finish? Half twelve. Oh, okay. All right. I had dinner at one thirty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'm too old for this, man. Like I'm not eighteen anymore. Like Jesus, yeah. man. People were people who were at the gig were texting me at like two a.m. 
asking me how it was and and like saying oh i'm sorry i missed you at the end and i'm like yeah well i left man it's too late i'm not gonna hang around people fucking hang around i'm, I'm so old I'm so i'm so decrepit i couldn't stay out <laughs> but no it was, it was it was amazing i was really blessed to get tickets so uh thank you to the person who gave me the tickets and uh yeah man it was, it was amazing that's cool uh kind of reminds me of uh, uh jerry the damager when you talk about that where it's like you don't need to it helps if you do know because mm. it helps the enjoyment but if you don't know it's it's hype regardless because you yeah. look you up and just like what to say if he wants to wants you to say something it's it's fun with everyone just shouts to bitches it's yeah it's fun itself um uh, uh what was oh yeah and uh just as a you know side note just because i have to leave at 11 doesn't mean i miss much like um most shows most shows here end at 11 um or 10 30 um so you know that's kind of it um but there are obviously some places that you know go till 3 a.m um for quote-unquote club nights da, 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 da. but uh, uh but yeah obviously i don't go to those because um yeah it's what it is but uh, yeah man um so yeah we'll finish there um ladies and gentlemen for the fifth podcast network it's been digging digits. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and hope you've enjoyed once again our third instalment of our UK BHM series. It's very enjoyable. I'd be trying to say the fifth one. We've been kind of hip hop numbers. Back to regular scheduled programming. We'll probably do retrospective next week. We'll do retrospective next week, and then we'll probably do some other shit. Back <laughs> the fuck up. Back wing the it fuck as up. Always. Wing it as always. And as, yeah, we're gonna wing it. And as, and as bed headbangs to some money. Hope you'll have a good week. We should always, always try and do the same. Until next time. Take it easy. Here's the job. Alright, peace. Big Nin Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me, music for the show, speaks and video games, but bonus points, plays the chill music for the ability to use. Socials for the fifth element, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and chill music will be in the full show notes, as well as names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth element podcast and production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time. I'm digging in the digits. <laughs>